I'm in this series. We were just coming out of um, the book of Malachi. And we talked about serving. And we also talked about giving. Amen. And um, I find, found it necessary through prayer. I'm going to be in First, Second Corinthians uh, for a couple weeks. I want you to look with me. Um, I, I'm breaking in the middle of a passage, so I'm going to look at Second Corinthians chapter 9. We'll look at verse 1. I want to deal with verse 5, though. Amen. Deal with verse 5 today. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He says, for it is abundant for me, superficial, that word means abundant, for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case. So that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to what? Shame by this confidence. Verse 5 is what we're going to deal with. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a what? Bountiful gift and not affected by covetedness. I want to talk about a new direction. I want to talk about today the secret to getting your financial house in order. The secret to getting your fine, tell your neighbor a new direction. The secret to getting your financial house in order. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Create in me, Lord, a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Use me for your glory. Touch the hearts of your people now. And God, we're believing, God, that you're going to bless this word and your people through the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank God you may be seated in the presence of God. Thank you, ushers. Amen. Thank you, ushers. Amen. Tell your neighbor a new direction. Amen. The secret, amen, to getting your financial house in order. Amen. Um, many of us, if I were to ask you today, you would say, Pastor, that's a good topic. Amen. Come on, how many of you say that's a good topic? It's a good title. Amen. My financial house. You have a spiritual house, which I dealt with. Um, a couple weeks back, I talked about serving God. I talked about giving to God worshiping God. If you notice, pay attention to where I'm going with these messages. But you know what I found out about people, about believers? See, 
unbelievers don't give to the church. But what I found out about believers is that the reason why many believers struggle to give is because they struggle to manage. Amen. They have a hard time managing what they have. And as a result of that, they're on the other end, amen, of the spectrum. Does God bless everybody? He does. But it's interesting to me that we all have financial problems. Not all of us. Not all of us. But we all got some kind of financial problems. Um, I did a chronicle of my life for a project that I was working on in seminary um, about 12 years ago, and it was a timeline of major events that has happened in my life since I got saved. And in 2008 is when my stewardship, it's when I figured out how to get my financial house in order. My spiritual house was good, but my financial house was falling apart. Anybody? Spiritual house is good. Financial house is falling apart. And that's the storyline for most of us. But what I found out in 2008, I found the principle. I found out there's a secret. And what I want to do is I want to translate that secret from what I learned so that you can get it, so that you can live a different life. Many of us are concerned right now. Higher prices, inflation, COVID-19, lack of funds. Amen. And the list goes on. But the reason why I prayed over this series about a new direction is because if you keep going in the same direction, you're going to get the same results. And so what it requires is an about face. It requires you taking a different path. How many of you are ready to take a new path? How many would like to go in a different direction? How many would like to live life, amen, without worrying about finances, without worrying about how you're going to make it? Now, you may be doing well right now, but here's the thing. We all have goals, but the question is, what are those goals? We all have things we want to build upon. We all have things we want to accomplish. And sometimes I feel, even as a pastor, I feel as if the, the way I can get there is if I have more resources. But God has shown me if you have favor. Amen. 
If you have favor with God and you have favor with man, finances will come. Are you with me? What is the secret, though? That's the question. The world seems to have figured it out. But I read something the other day in Scripture. Jesus says it is hard for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. I, th I thought I started to let that ponder. It's easier for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than for a rich person to enter into heaven. Imagine that. Imagine that there will be people like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, billionaires who will never see heaven. But you and I will go to heaven. The question I have for you is, does God want us to be rich? Does he want us to have an abundance? I believe God wants us to be rich. I believe that he wants us to be, have an abundance. But I believe that he will do that upon you settling in your heart. That what you have is not yours. It seems to me Christians struggle financially a whole lot. And all of a sudden they find themselves going after things to improve their lives that brings them away from Jesus. That takes them off course that puts them in a place or in a position where they cannot be available to Jesus. Oh, do I have a witness today? You see, I found out that it's possible to serve Christ and still be successful. I found out as a business owner that I can become prosperous and I can land big deals and I can rise to the top, but I have to keep into perspective. Come on, help me somebody. My mission in life. I found out that it's easy to get distracted by more things. I want to tell you something. The more I desire things, the less I got. But when I stopped pursuing things and start pursuing Christ, I got all the things that I was pursuing at the beginning of my Christian life. You see, the enemy wants us to be distracted. And he wants us to think that it, you got a bum deal. But Jesus said this, no man has given up anything. House, mother, father, brother, sister, anything you've given up that he will not give back to you even more now in this life, here's the double blessing, in this life and in the life to come. If a rich person don't have eternal life, I don't want to be rich. <laughs> Amen. He says it's impossible. But he did go on to say what's impossible for man is possible for God. So there is still hope. Come on, somebody. 
for those who have sold their soul to the world. Watch where I'm going with this. Paul here in this passage, you got to understand 1 Corinthians, but you got to understand the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was rich. It was a thriving church in a region where the culture was somehow influenced by idol worship. This Corinthian church was rich in wealth and in spiritual gifts. They had it going on, saints. These were people who were at the bottom of life, and God saved them and gave them the life they had never dreamed of. How I many you know he can do that for you? This church represented a church that God established, but the people in the church had lost perspective. In chapter one, he's talking to them about their behavior. Carnality had crept into the church. There was all kinds of things going on in the church. You can read it for yourself. I don't want to expound on that, but I just want to let you know that it's possible for a church to look like the world. It's possible for a church to take on the characteristics of the culture. And what the Corinthians were doing, they were benefiting, they were profiting from a life, a blessed life, but they were not reciprocating back into the kingdom. Watch this. They were living large. They were living lavishly. They were living good. But yet, they were forgetting the basics. Watch where I'm going with this. They made a promise to take up an offering, to raise an offering, amen, to help the other churches in Macedonia, those other churches that were struggling. Now watch this. You say, what does this have to do with my financial house? It has a lot to do with your financial house. Because I got a sneaky suspicion today that some of us in our hearts we have promised something to God. You said, God, if you get me out of this, I mean, how many said that? Let me see. Let me see all, all who got hands. Lord, if you get me out of this. Now, my question to you is, did you keep your promise? Lord, if you do this for me, if you do that for me. But here's the thing. This church had promised that they were going to do something for these little churches that were struggling. But it had been a year, one year, and they still hadn't done it. So Paul writes them, this is a one-year campaign. Paul, he instructed the Corinthians to take up this collection for the Jerusalem church, but he now urges them to follow through. I often look at my life and I often say, God, is there something, as, as I was studying this, I had a little bit left on my victory offering. Boy, I went on the cash app there right away. I said, Lord, nope. <laughs> See how God will deal with you before he preaches. That's what Ezra 7.10 is all about. 
Ezra said it's hard to study, to practice, and then teach. I can't tell you to do something that I'm not doing myself. It doesn't work. You with me? Watch this. Watch this. I, I'm not sure if they wanted it to last that long, but whatever the people, whenever people take a long time to deliver on what they promise, it means that it's not important to them. See, their promise was not important anymore. The people that they wanted to help wasn't important anymore. And, and as a result of that, they started to feel the pinch. See, midway in this campaign, they started to experience turbulence. Somebody say turbulence. Can I ask you a question? How is your financial house today? Is it shaky? Is it cold? Is it leaning on one side? Come on, somebody. Are you living paycheck to paycheck? Are you robbing Peter to play Johnny, Ronnie, Ricky, and Mike? You see, I believe that because they were hesitant, because they were slow about this thing. Y'all follow where I'm going with this? I believe that the reason why it took so long is because they had neglected their first love. So, so Paul, Paul says this. What is the secret, though? What is the secret, amen, of getting your financial house in order? You want to see? You want to see? Look at, look, look, at verse, look at verse five. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge to urge the brethren. See, that's ain't for everybody. The word brethren means brother. It means adolphus. It means from the same womb. He's talking to Christians. He says, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you. He's talking about Titus. He's talking about sending the people to collect. So what I found out in the secret to getting your financial house in order, I believe, number one, you start with Faithful stewardship. Tell your neighbor, faithful stewardship. It's a biblical word. I don't know if you know what a steward is. But let me tell you what a steward is. A steward is a house manager. Write it down. Or one who manages somebody else's stuff. Here's the thing. When we leave this earth, we can't take nothing with us. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's. The fullness thereof and they that dwell in it. Everything belongs to God, including everything you have. Are you with me? A steward is one who manages 
the goods of another, watch this, a steward realizes that all that they have belongs to someone else. You know why so many people struggle to have? Because they think that it's theirs. I never forget when I was teaching on stewardship, I have this sheet of paper. It was a quick, quick claim deed. Well, I had everybody to write down their possessions, everything they owned, and I had them to bring it up to the altar, and they gave it back to the Lord. Everything we have, if you want to get your financial house in order, start with stewardship. Christian stewardship is a Christian practice. Watch this. It's neither a department or life no sphere of activity. It is it's a Christian concept of life that everything I have, stop saying it's my money and start saying it's God's money. Stop saying it's my house and start saying it's God's house. Stop saying, amen, it, it is my car. It is God's car. And therefore, you and I are left here on earth to be a steward. How do we do this? Paul says, always remember that as a believer, everything you have is on loan to you. Do I have a witness? That everything you have, that beautiful house you built, that beautiful car you drive, Listen, the nice clothes you got on, listen, when you leave this earth, it's going to goodwill. It is. I promise you it is. Somebody else is going to wear it. Your wife ain't going to keep them suits. She may for a little bit. You know, but after a while, it's going to goodwill. See, the impact that we leave here on earth has to not just be what we have, but how we use it. Listen, this is the first and fundamental secret to getting your financial house in order. With your foundation intact, stewardship means that you are managing your time, your talents, and your treasures. Test your Christian stewardship for the past year. Ask this question. Have you attended worship services every Sunday? Were you physically present? Pandemic. If you volunteered or were appointed to a position, did you fulfill your responsibility in such a way that you could look back on the year with no regret? Have you offered your service when you knew they needed it? Have you fulfilled your financial promises? Somebody told me when you're preaching, Pastor, and we quiet, we listening. I want you to say, ouch, amen, or thank you anytime you feel like it. Have you assumed that since you're a member of your church, it, it, that it's Watch this. It's success or failure reflects upon you. See, whether we make it or not, it's not just because of me, it's because of us. Have you fulfilled your duty 
as a leader of this church, being that we're installing our leadership today. See, leadership, everything starts with leadership. And if you're going to get your financial house in order, you have to ask yourself a question. Am I being faithful in my stewardship? Am I using my time wisely? Am I arranging my calendar so that God is on there? He said, what does that guy do with my finances? You can't leave your finances out. Because everything you do is why you do it because you want money. Hello? But you can't want money so much where you leave God out. Paul says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go ahead, tell your neighbor stewardship. Look what he says next. He says, watch what he says, to arrange beforehand. That's all stewardship. You're previously promised. I ain't getting to gift yet. Hold on. That's a whole nother thing. To arrange beforehand your previously promised. What's the secret? Second thing. Stick to your promise to God and yourself. Now, I'm trying to tie this into practicalities. So here's the thing. If you're going to save, stick to it. If you're going to invest, stick to it. See, their promise was to support the church that was struggling. They were blessed and wanted to continue to be blessed, but they failed to continue. If you want your financial house to be in order, you got to make sure that you stick whatever you promised. The moment you thought about it, you promised. Imagine this. Imagine you make a promise that you're going to give, save, and invest. But you only do the two parts, save and invest. <laughs> but you never give. You see, saints, what happens to a lot of people is they think about themselves always. Oftentimes, we only think about ourselves. But if you make a promise, keep it. But listen, if you can't keep a promise to yourself, I'm going to save $10 a week. I'm going to invest $5 a month. I'm going to give faithfully to my tithe. I'm going to give towards whatever's asked of me. If you're going to get your financial house in order, you have to stick to your promise. And I want to tell you something that he who promises is faithful. God is faithful. And we learn that attribute because we share that attribute with God. And so in your promise to yourself, be faithful to you and be faithful to God. And I want to say to somebody here today, you got to put a, put it on writing. You got to get a budget. You got to start itemizing it because guess what? The money's coming in and it's going out. You're saying you don't have enough, but God says, keep your promise. Imagine that. Imagine that we can't even keep our promise to ourselves. Don't let me lose you now. Look what he says. He says, be raised beforehand your previously promised. Now this word, this word he goes on to say, bountiful gift. This is where we get the, the Greek word eulogy. Eulogy. Or the English word eulogy to speak well of. 
And here's the thing about the Corinthian church that I found out is that they wanted accolades. They thrive on good on on being pointed out and they they strive that they, they really felt good about themselves being spoken well of. But I found out something that every time you give. It is an opportunity for God to speak well of you. He says your bountiful what gift. It's a what? It's a gift. So not only must you stick to your promise to God and yourself, but the next thing I want to tell you, and I'm almost done, seek opportunities to be generous. We can't keep everything we have. When was the last time you thought about somebody else? When was the last time your gifts made a difference? So that when you gave it, it was given as an invocation, as a blessing, but also as a benediction. This word bountiful eulogy, it is to speak well of. It means that you're polished in your presentation. Come on, somebody. It's, it, it means fine language. It means that your life is being making such an impact on somebody else that every time you give, you're being spoken of very well. Every time we are generous, you're being speaking, spoken well of. You say, what does that do for me? Here's the thing. It builds a testimony. Thank you, Lord. That when I learned the secret of releasing, come on, somebody. God was testifying, come on, somebody, about me. Come on, somebody. That, listen, that I was not a person that held on to what I had. The bountiful gift was Paul's way of saying to them that your testimony's on the line, y'all. You may say, what does this have to do with my financial house? It puts you at an advantage when you release what God has given you for a greater cause. May I ask you a question? I'm not just talking about people speaking well of you because you said something. I'm talking about your actions show that you're about it. Are you with me? See, this Corinthian church did not see this as a gift. They saw it as a burden now. It started off as a, as a blessing, and now the blessing is turning into what? A burden. Whenever you feel like you can't be generous. See, generosity comes from the heart. I'm talking about some people who, there are some people who they just give their tithe. They don't do nothing else. They can't do nothing else. They won't do anything else. And that does not make for a good steward. In other words, what we have to develop in our heart is the ability to be generous. Because I'll show you here in a minute what happens if you're not generous. Paul had a concern. And if you look back at verse 4, he says, Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this what? Confidence. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying 
Here's the thing, your financial house is affected by your generosity. But here's the thing, I don't want them to come back. We come in for this offering and then y'all can't deliver. It's going to give you a bad what? Testimony. Can I ask you a question? How's your, what's your giving testimony? What's your generosity testimony? Let, let, let me ask another question. When was the last time you really helped somebody? I'm talking about, now hold on now. I ain't talking about moving furniture. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about somebody had a need and they could have called you or they did call you and you're like, you know what? Yeah, sure, I got you. Oh, come on and help me somebody. You see, if you're going to get your financial house in order, you can't hoard, which I'm getting to my next point. Look what he says next. He says, so that what? The same would be what? Ready as a bountiful gift. I want to get my financial house in order. I got to seek opportunities to be generous. You, do you not know that when you give, God's going to give it back? Somebody got to try that. Somebody got to really, listen, how many pairs of shoes you got? Go home, take a couple of those that you don't wear and give it away. Be generous. Take a couple of those suits you have. Take a couple of those dresses you have that you, that's piled of stacked up. You can't even move stuff around. And seek to be what? Generous. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your life. God says that if your house financially is going to stand. It has to be on the right foundation. But here's the thing. You got to release some stuff in order to make room for some new stuff. And I want my financial house to stand. Watch this. Watch what he says. He says, in the same way, you would be what? Ready for what? It will be ready as what? As a bountiful gift. I'm saving the last for last, but watch this. He says that the gift that was supposed to be picked up by the brothers, that it would not turn into something else. You follow me? Watch this. Here's the next point. Stop thinking. This is what we think. If I give this, Pastor, I ain't going to have enough to pay my rent. Where's your faith? I'm going to say it one more time. Where's your faith? But you don't understand. I know one who understands. Paul says, y'all be ready. But hold on a minute. They had one year to do this. So it goes back to what? Stewardship. When your giving turns into a burden, you won't see blessings. Why did it take so long? Why did it take one year for them to raise this, this offering? Did the economy change? Did they get distracted? Did they have cutbacks at the job? Did they get caught up in the moment and they spoke out of emotion? Here's the other thing. Only give what you think you can give. 
at that moment where your faith takes you. But can I tell, tell somebody with something? You got to move on faith when you give, when you're generous. You can't calculate numbers because God will take those numbers and scramble them up. And I'm saying to somebody, I got four minutes. I'm saying to somebody here today, here's what I'm trying to say to you. You have to understand and stop speaking to yourself in such a way where you keep saying, I don't have enough. Take that out your vocabulary. Your financial house will always tip if you keep thinking that way. But we have to have faith. Imagine that. Imagine it took a whole year for them to do something that they could have done in one day. Because there are some of them say, man, I don't, I don't think we got enough. I mean, I mean, what? Boy, y'all quiet today. Let, let me guess. Let me guess. You're paying attention. I got you. Let, let's go. Let's go to the last part of the verse. We're going to go home. He says, um, he says that the same would be ready as a what? Notice he uses the word bountiful gift twice. It's, it, whenever you see repetition, he's saying, I want this eulogy to be right. Whenever you give into the church, it's a gift. It's not your money. It's a gift. It's a blessing to you. Imagine that. You're giving, but it's a blessing to you. Watch this. He says that, that it would not be affected by what? There are some people who used to give, but they don't give no more because they've lingered around too long. They think about it. They used to be generous. But watch this, mash this. When you start next week, join me next week. I got the second part to the secret. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Whenever you see your financial house being affected, there are reasons. It starts with stewardship. It starts with what? Your promise, your promise, your opportunity to be generous, your thinking. But lastly, you got to see if the love or the lack of money has affected your house. Some of us are coveting. Let me tell you what the word coveting means. Simple word. You ready? Greed. It, it has the idea of grasping to get more and keep it at the expense of others. It means the love of money. To hoard. It carries the idea to be an extortion, a thief. Covetous plans, watch this, fraud. He says, you all, let's grab this gift. I mean, I'm sorry. Let's, let's finish what we started so that it doesn't turn out bad for you. It took them one year. And I've watched some people's lives where they went from being generous people to covet coveting people. Can't squeeze nothing out of them. Why did that happen to you? How did that happen to you? You see, 
if you forget that you're a steward. Listen, Paul says to them, make sure that it's not affected or infected. It made an about face. What was good turns into something bad. Come on, somebody. And I'm asking somebody here today. And I'm just wondering for a moment here today. Has your financial house been affected by the love of money or the lack of money? Some will say the latter. But here's the thing. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a detriment because you and I should not be living in lack. Why? Because our father's rich. Come on, somebody. And I want to say to somebody here today, you got to pay attention to your promises. Remember where you've fallen from. And as in the book of Revelation, he says, and return from that place and say, God, I'm going to do what's right. I want my financial house to be back in order. Anybody here want your financial house to be back in order? I, I urge you to take these, these points and put it against your life. And whatever's true to you, repent. Because you can be blessed again. And if you don't believe it, keep living the way you're living. You see, the coveted person, particularly the one who's become a materialist, will soon discover that money can give you a bed, but no sleep. It can give you books, but no brains. A house, but no home. Food, but not an appetite. Amusements, but not friends. And so I encourage you to get your financial house in order. Give God a hand clap of praise. I was intrigued by that one verse. But not only was I intrigued, I was moved to action. I said, Lord, now, what have I promised you? Now, look, Friday, I completed what I promised. Saturday morning, I got the email about my refund. Next week, I will show you a deeper principle in that next verse. Oh, yeah, we're going to dig that next verse next week. We're going to dig that thing. Because I want to see you blessed. But can I tell you something? I can't convince you if you haven't been convicted. If I were to ask you today, how many of you believe that your financial house needs repairing? And how many of you are willing today to say to God, fix me? Would you come today?